Thank you for tuning into the HAE Speaks podcast. This podcast is brought to you thanks to the support of the Hereditary Angioedema Association, a patient advocacy organization serving the needs of the HAE patient and caregiver community. Hello, and welcome to the HAE Speaks podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Adina. Welcome, Adina. Hi, Missy. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? Good. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you for joining us today in this episode. I want to talk to you about your HAE journey and leading up to today. Yeah, of course. I am um, really excited again and I'm thankful that I get to talk about this. I think that talking about what's happened to me has really been the thing to help me kind of grow and heal and process through the hard moments because we all have those. So kind of going back um, when I was about four or five, I was uh, my younger brother bit me and it wasn't anything crazy. wasn't um, anything that really drew any blood or anything like that. But the next day, my mom saw a red ring um, around the area where he bit me and didn't have a fever, nothing else was going on. So they just kind of kept an eye on it and we're going to get it checked out if it got any worse or if anything else happened. And then after that, different parts of my body would start to swell. So my hands, my feet, things like that. Um, definitely had some of the episodes on my face and those were uh, just kind of my experiences early on. Um, there was no family history of HAE or anybody else having a mystery illness of any kind like that. So we were at a loss. My uh, pediatrician referred me to an allergist who sent me to a different allergist who sent me to a different allergist and uh, lots of jokes about me being allergic to my brother, which were great. It's definitely, definitely what I wanted to hear. And all that time before I got a diagnosis, I just got used to saying, I have this weird swelling thing. I had no name for it. I had no way of really contextualizing what was happening or why or what was wrong with me. Uh, it wasn't until we were referred to a hematologist, oncologist, uh, who saw acquired angioedema in cancer patients. Oh. Um, my hand was swollen for my first appointment with him, which was not so fun, but pretty handy because it was an example of, okay, this is exactly what's going on. And uh, he came in and saw it and thought, well, you know, maybe it could be this and ordered the blood work and came to find out that I just don't like to make the protein. So <laughs> I have a type one HAE. I'm very deficient in the protein itself. So I have to have to get other other means of supplementing that or, or keeping that chain reaction from happening, all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So I got that diagnosis when I was about 10. Took about four or five years to get to that point. And I honestly consider myself one of the lucky ones just because I know how much time can pass before you're able to get a diagnosis. I think the, the average that I last saw was about nine years. And it's just a really scary time. Getting a name for what was going on with me was a little bittersweet. It was nice being able to say, I have 
hereditary angioedema instead of I have this weird swelling thing. Yes. That but, in itself right there, just having a name, nothing yes. else sometimes, but just having a name, a yeah. lot of people take a lot of comfort in that. It's something. It's something to say, right? Instead yeah. of like your phrase, this weird swelling thing that I have. <laughs> yeah. It also, I think, helps to reassure you that even if you're not immediately next to somebody who has HIE as well, you're not the only one. Like, it's not a disorder of one. <laughs> there, there are people who have this and there are people who have stories similar to mine and experiences similar to mine, even though we're all have different variations. But this was before any of the FDA-approved treatments specifically for HIE were about. So this was, I believe, about 1999, 1998. Mm -hmm. And I just learned to deal with it. <laughs> Most of my episodes would happen in my extremities. I adapted. You know, I got around things like if my shoes didn't fit, I would wear house shoes to school or like slippers. If my hand was swollen, I would, you know, learn how to open up mm -hmm. a milk carton from the school cafeteria with one hand and just had to become this professional problem solver at a really young age. And the doctors did bring up the option of the steroids for my situation specifically. It didn't feel that the risk of those medications outweighed the benefit or they that the risk outweighed the benefits and it didn't wasn't something that we wanted to to start <laughs> so I just got used to navigating and got used to missing out on things I missed out on field trips and family vacations and I just assumed that that was how it was going to be that was the hand I was dealt yeah and uh you know dealing with it worked until it didn't. <laughs> so the first FDA approved medication came about in like 2008, 2009. I was in college and I woke up with that pressure on my, in my throat. And I was like, okay, that's, that's weird. Yeah. I'll go to class. And as I'm like raising my hand and answering questions, I can hear the pitch of my voice had changed. And that combined with not being able to cough and clear away that pressure, like sent up all the red flags. So got to the ER, um, had the experience of, of navigating kind of what happens. I had to be intubated. I was in ICU for a couple of days and the recovery after that. The thing that is kind of frustrating for me <laughs> in hindsight is that the first FDA approved medication specifically for HIE was already around. I uh, limited myself in a sense mm -hmm. in that my health insurance, the only health insurance I had was a college plan yeah. with a, a lifetime max of $10,000, which is nothing <laughs> when you think about how, how costly things can be. I just wasn't able to get to it. Didn't didn't know really about the financial assistance that was available through the pharmaceutical company or things like that. And, and I just, I wasn't like jumping for it. And then worst case scenario <laughs> happened. So after that, I started 
the preventative treatment in December of that year. So a couple of months later, was able to get everything lined up. I, I capped out my insurance and it was totally useless after that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but getting to start a preventative treatment changed everything. It still had its moments of stress. You know, we have those unique challenges when it comes to things like making sure we can infuse or making sure we can use our medicine, especially depending on the kind that you're taking. Um, I ended up having, you know, ports implanted. I had the first one fail. I had a second one implanted. It was a huge relief because I responded well to the treatment and I felt like I actually had an opportunity to feel somewhat normal (laughs) and to, if I, my scars or if my, my poor scars weren't showing and I didn't have any swelling going on, I felt like I could just move about the world and, and HAE wasn't at the forefront kind Mm -hmm. of dictating the choices that I was making for myself. And I, I did, you know, feel that I limited myself in some regards. I didn't kind of move out of state. I graduated college thinking I was going to be in theater (laughs) and thinking I was going to work backstage for theater companies, but reality hit. And I was like, oh, I really need health insurance and was scared to take that leap and to try something in a different state away from my support system, my family, and just, it didn't go down that path. Right. So that was just a reality check, but all things considered, I'm really thankful that before the the laryngeal episode happened way before. So going back in time um, to 1999, I believe, I actually found the HAEA um, after a NORD conference. So there was the the National Organization for Rare Disorders. They had a meeting in Washington, D.C., and my mom found out about that through the specialist who was, you know, monitoring my HAE. And we were able to go. And it was another turning point or mm-hmm. another shift for me away from feeling like something was wrong with me to something is happening to me. Right. I got to meet other people who had what I had, who had similar stories or similar experiences and being able to say like, oh man, I really hate when this happens and seeing people kind of nod like, oh yeah, yep, I get <laughs> like having that validation, mm-hmm. especially as a child who previously felt stranded on an island, I guess. It was a huge relief to get to know others and to get to hear their stories. I wholeheartedly believe that the connections I was able to make through the HAEA and the knowledge that I gained saved my life when I did have that. Have that absolutely. So I was able to recognize, you know, after hearing other people's stories, especially you know when the the voice, when the change of my my voice changed, when the pitch of my voice changed, and and being able to reach out to my friend Donna. Uh, whose son has HAE and she was they were actually the first other family that I ever met like another child who who had HAE who was about my age so that was huge um, but between being able to talk to Donna and being able to advocate for myself which I had to do you know the first ER 
just wasn't very knowledgeable. They, right. we know that's a common occurrence. It's getting better slowly but surely, but um, definitely was in a situation where I had to be a little bit more assertive than I normally am. Yeah. And it was necessary. And I don't know. It's scary to think about how the day could have gone if I didn't know anything that I knew <laughs> when it came to what was happening, what I have, you know, what is necessary to speak up for yourself, especially my mom and my sister weren't at that hospital yet. It was, was still early on in that episode. And then later on, when we were at a different ER, that advocacy still came into play. We ended up really getting to a point where I was having a hard time swallowing that combined with, you know, us kind of advocating on my behalf and um, just being able to really drive home to the the doctors there that listen, this is critical. And I was able to, to make it. So I feel like being able to have these connections and have this knowledge took me from just surviving to thriving. I'm incredibly fortunate that I respond well to, to the treatments. And I know that's not the case for everybody. I'm, I'm really, I think that's one of my driving forces is wanting that for everybody. Yes. As we all deserve to, to move from that survival mode and that chronic stress and the pain and the unpredictability and all those things. And we all deserve to feel like we are able to live our lives uninterrupted by something that's happening to us and, and being able to recognize that it's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with us. It's just something's happening to us. I think that shift in the narrative is really important for me too. Um, I completely yeah. agree, Adina. Um, and I love that you said you went from surviving to thriving once you A, got a diagnosis, B, found other people that are in the same situation as you with needing a diagnosis or for your mom and your sister, having those other caregivers that mm -hmm. understand those situations when they arise. There's, there's not... I have to explain further. Mm -hmm. There's that level of understanding. I get you. I see you. I hear you. I understand you. I just want to say thank you because I feel like it takes a very brave person uh, to share their journey. And I am so thankful that you are now thriving. Thank you. And I'm, I'm really relieved or I'm really excited that I get to kind of step into the next role of being able to advocate for others and I guess pay it forward or, or be able to give back. I think Absolutely. it's really important just to be able to um, use my experiences and my diagnostic odyssey to help others the best that I can. So being able to transition to actually working with the health team has been another huge turning point and it, it wasn't expected. It was definitely something that I I feel passionate about and I feel drawn to and I just want to do what I can to help and we all appreciate you and I am so happy that you have joined the HAEA staff and are on the health team and I just want to say thank you Adina and for everybody listening to this podcast have a wonderful day and enjoy life 
Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to the HAE Speaks podcast. I would like to send a huge thank you to the HAEA and also BioCrist, BioMarin, CSL Bearing, and Takeda for sponsoring the 2022 HAE Speaks podcast series. I would also like to thank Michael G for the music and Michael C for the podcast editing. Please click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when a new podcast becomes available. For more updates about HAE Speaks podcast or if you would like to connect with the HAE community and gather more information about HAE, please visit HAEA.org. Also, you can follow the HAEA on social media within Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, at HAEA. Please check out the HAE youth-created and produced podcast series called Beyond HAE. Thank you again for listening to the HAE Speaks podcast. Podcast.